Hello, everyone, and welcome to Michigan State University's Liberal Arts Endeavor, a podcast dedicated to the transformative power of our faculty, research, pedagogy here at MSU. In each episode of the Liberal Arts Endeavor, we offer an inside perspective on the research, teaching, and scholarship that is enriching the ways we think and act in a complex, interconnected world. I'm your host, Chris Long, Dean of the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, and in the studio today, I have the great pleasure of having Professor Tamara Butler of the Department of English and the African American and African Studies program here with me, along with one of her students, China Gross. So welcome, Tamara and China. Hey. Hi. <laughs> All right. It's great to, uh, great to have you. Tamara, I'd like to start by asking you about um, what it means to be an engaged scholar from your perspective. You really embody so many of the values that we care so deeply about in that regard. Oh. I'm excited. So I think one of the things that I've been thinking about being an engaged scholar um, is really thinking about this idea of being connected to, um, being responsible, um, and also being um, so responsible and responsive. So kind of thinking around these ideas of, um, of coming into conversation with communities, with scholars, with kind of everyday folks and thinking about some of the problems that are in our communities, but also some of the really thinking around innovative solutions. So um, in thinking about being an engaged scholar, it's, it's knowing the scholarship, but also knowing what everyday folks are doing and how they're addressing issues, which is really important. So um, it's something that I'm constantly thinking about. And so, yeah, that's kind of like where I am. So, so how does that... Um how does that translate into your kind of approach and the ways in which you engage communities? How do you um, bring your scholarship uh, into dialogue with, with communities in a way that brings them into, into it as well? Mm -hmm. I think most of the time um, I'm really interested in what communities are doing. Mm -hmm. And I think as a result, it then turns around and informs my work rather than the other way around where it's like, let me take these really hefty theories and then take them out and find someone and find some place where it applies. Um, so knowing of kind of like where I'm from and the kind of work that I've, and the kind of uh, women and men, young people who I've engaged with prior to coming to MSU, um, I think that really informs the way that I think about what communities are doing. And then as a result, it's like, okay, where does my scholarship then um, how can it then reflect some of those lessons? And so for me, I think that's, that's kind of where I, where I am um, in thinking about this kind of work. Mm -hmm. Does, do, talk a little bit about your, your work with um, the own, your own history of your family on St. John's Island and, and, and a, a little bit more uh, about that work. Um, so, so my project is really interested in and I'm interested in um, community history. So being from Johns Island, which is a small, well, relatively large <laughs> um, island off of the South Carolina coast, um, one of the things that I found is that the history of that place is written very narrowly. Mm -hmm. So it's interested mostly in the civil rights movement, um, a very, very specific families and locations on the island. And so... Um, the part of the island that I focus on is kind of wedged between um, all of these historical sites on one side and then um, what is now becoming beach and golf resorts on the other side. And so it's the families and the stories that are right in the middle. 
um, that I'm most interested in because it's like if we think about it, they'll kind of fall out um, of our storytelling. They'll fall out of our history books because they're not uh, quote-unquote um, large stories, large narratives. And so for me, I'm, I think that their stories are very important. Um, I recently did a presentation with some graduate students where I brought in T-shirts, and each of the T-shirts represented a story um, or a lesson that I learned um, being from South Carolina and along the way. And so I think it's the kind of um, ways in which people in the community have trust, whether and regardless of age, so kind of trusting young people to do uh, to do what is right, also trusting young people's um, kind of instinct and knowledge, um, realizing that there's a connection between elders and young people. Um, and so as a result of that, I think that deeply informs the way I work here, mm. um, where I see that there's no break between um, what older and younger generations bring to the table, that we're actually kind of this interconnected um, group, interconnected community. And so that that is something that I try to embody and carry with me throughout my classes and also realizing that I don't always have to be at the center of the stage, that there's so many other voices um, who could be on stage and be in that space. Well, that's such an important recognition and something that we, I don't think, attend to effectively enough in, in higher education, particularly as the kinds of ways in which we think about scholarship, measure scholarship, always has the activity of the author, the scholar at, at the center of them. So, so what challenges have you faced as you've thought about facilitating those kinds of conversations and decentering yourself in order to, in order to open up uh, new stories and new vo for new voices? Mm -hmm. I think the biggest challenge has been, um, has been resources, time, um, and a little bit of uh, messiness, mm -hmm. um, which is something that I've been talking with with a couple other colleagues, and it's just this idea that we're at a place where it's where you have to recognize that um, you plan a semester, for <laughs> example, you plan a class, and you're expecting a guest speaker to be at this place at this time, and this activity is going to happen, and and for me, I realize that that's been challenging because you know um, in one of my courses. We went out into um, a local garden house, or we want to be out in the community garden, and it's like it's raining. So, do we still go? Do you know? Or it's very cold. Will students still come? Um, as well as thinking about guest speakers. Just um, just in the fall semester, I had uh, several guest speakers lined up, but because of election day and whatever else was going on, we had to rearrange our schedules. So that was one of the challenges. Um, the other challenge is also in thinking about how to represent the scholarship. So a publication I did 2016-ish um, with um, some teachers has really been challenging because it's like, well, who gets to be first author? Mm. Um, and how will we recognize you know, the whose work this is for? And I think for me, it's saying, if this is my partner in the work, um, in that case, it was Pamela Reed. It's her class. So she's first author. Mm -hmm. And so being able to constantly say that in a um, in academia, which is which usually says that first author is the person who's like of most significance, um, who did the work. Um, a lot of times I see where it's scholars who take that away from the people that they're working with. And for me, I said, I'd rather the teacher whose class this is be first author rather than me. 
um, who was like an observer and an assistant in that kind of capacity. So uh, the biggest challenge is trying to get places, different parts of the academy to recognize um, the value of of a co-author. Mm. Um, so that is not always the person who's in the academy as the person who gets all the credit. You know, one of the things I really appreciate about your work and about the ways that you have advocated for uh, voices of those with whom you collaborate has been your intentional uh, practice of ensuring that those voices are recognized, heard, and valued in, in the process. And you've um, really helped me understand at a different level the importance of finding ways to uh, recognize the collaboration itself as mm-hmm. what is valuable. One of the things you insisted upon when we said we come do the the podcast was <laughs> I got to have a student here. So <laughs> let's talk to to China a little bit for a second about your experience with Professor Butler and 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 how you got to know her. Okay, wait. Okay, yeah. so my experience with Professor Butler is not unique. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think I'm really engaged with a lot of faculty and professors on campus, so learn, having Butler as an addition is a really good resource because she's super kind and, yeah. <laughs> but um, Butler's class taught me a lot about how having connections to the students in your class is necessary. Like, there were a lot of um, female students within the class, and she's like, what do you guys do after class? Do you talk? Or do you just leave and go to the next class? Like, you guys should form a hangout or exchange numbers. And she was, like, the first teacher to do that. Mm. Like, yeah, you should all be friends. Like, <laughs> why are you not friends? And I think that was a nice change. What, what was the class that you first took with her? Um, it was the Black Girl Land Project, AAAS 390. And talk a little bit about that class. What was? Did you have a project in that class? What was your... We have several projects. <laughs> <laughs> um, I initially enrolled in a class because African-American study programs and courses can be very male-centered. So when I seen her flyer to enlist in a class and I seen the word girl, I was like, oh, it's going to be something <laughs> about feminism. I'm going to enroll in that. Because if it was Black Land Project, I probably would not have enrolled <laughs> because I'm like, okay, I have connections to the land, but... How do I, as an individual, have connections to the land? And I'm like, okay, Black Girl Land Project, she's actually going to talk about me and examine my roots. And within the class, we had projects like watching TV series that's focused on Black people establishing land, like um, Queen Sugar. It's about a Black family who um, inherits the land when their father passes away in the South and their struggle of taking care of that farm because most people neglect their relations to land. And when they gained that new responsibility, they had to come with all these resources and actually build community with the other black farmers. And then they found out about all the systematic situations that could stop them from establishing like a healthy farm and making a profit off of it. I'm like, oh, People are like still farming. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, yeah. that's weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so you grew up in Detroit, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so how did you connect with that with, with that kind of text? What your what was your reaction? Um, I felt as though in 
first class, I learned that I truly didn't know my connection to him. Like, I couldn't, I took it for granted, so I never really traced it. Like, I know there were past generations who resided in Detroit, and I know we all, like, um, both sides of the family came from the South and then migrated to Detroit, but I never investigated, sat down, had a conversation with my grandmother, like, so who are the people who migrated to Detroit? Why did they find Detroit more valuable in real estate? Like, why did this happen? And once we were in Butler's class, you start to ask those questions. So you start to sit down with family members like, okay, we're from Detroit, but why are we from this side of Detroit? Because Detroit is very territorial. So it's like, (laughs) well, why are we from the east side of Detroit? And it's like, well, when we migrated to the east side of from the south to the east side of Detroit, jobs were very prominent, and you were more likely to get a higher-paying job on the east side of Detroit in the car factory mm. or the plant. Um, and then once they had enough wealth, they were able to migrate to the west side of Detroit, and then they just kept having um, – they just resided on the west side of Detroit for future generations because they felt as though the education was better, and it's things like that that you, like, have to ask. So so those kinds of conversations were inspired by Professor Butler's class. Yeah. Did you do a project uh, on on that? Was that something you wrote about then and you you had a opportunity to have these conversations? Yeah, we had a, um it was about a 10-page paper. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> That's not bad. And you write on your relation to the land and how it connects with one of the readings or how it connects with one of the series we watched. And it's when you connect it to something fictional, like the show Queen Sugar to your real life, it's like, well, I clearly didn't grow up on a farm, but like I do have family ties to this land that is way more than just like, oh, we came here because of slavery. Like most black people say, like, we just came here because, you know, slavery happened. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's way more than that. Mm So, so Tamara, as you think about these kinds of um, assignments for, for students, how are you framing them so that they can a- engage in these kinds of conversations? It's a lot of, it's a lot of reading. Mm-hmm. So I think with this course and other courses that I taught, but this one, in the uh, African American Studies 390 course in particular, it's getting students um, to see, um, to really understand their own story but I also use my story as an entry point. So um, through the class, we watched some of the videos that of the women that I interviewed in on John's Island. Um, we've invited speakers. So I think the thing that makes it helpful is for students, because that course draws students from so many different disciplines, is to let them allow students to see themselves um, and see other women aside from myself. So in this case, um, we've invited any women who are anywhere from environmental education to fisheries and wildlife, uh, doc students in ag, in the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources, to a doc student in English history. So faculty and um, even a, a savvy horn who was who was the executive director of the land loss project in North Carolina. Mm. So just kind of inviting to the to the table all of these different individuals so students are like, oh, I'm a communications major, but I actually never thought that my major connected to this issue or um, just kind of leaving the floor open. So we bring in different speakers, um, even a colleague, uh, Dr. Lauren Powell, who is the director of health equity 
um, in the state of Virginia, she Skyped in and students were like, oh, yes, health is a part of land. Mm -hmm. Like I never thought about that. Um, and I think a really big partnership that helps students uh, connect to land is also opening the classroom to different experiences. So I really am excited that China is here because China and three other students went to Detroit. So to kind of see a different side of Detroit, we partnered with the Center for Gender in the Global Context. Um, they have a program called Gender Justice and Environmental uh, Change. And so one of the things that we were interested in is, was air activism in Detroit. And so we spent the whole day talking to various women activists in the area. And so it's just being able to think, like, what you're majoring in may or may not connect to this issue, but you are connected and you are deeply impacted. Um, and so my hope is that um, I try to start with these really heavy readings. <laughs> We've read some heavy theory that usually I you may reserve for graduate courses, try to have these daily conversations, and then from there... Um, really think about, well, okay, let's talk about this practically. What does this look like on the ground? And I think that that was really helpful. Yeah, did you, so you <coughs> did that uh, in Detroit. You went on one on a kind of field trip to Detroit to have this, these conversations. How do you, what do you remember of that, China? Um, we went to Detroit with the activism group that mm. um, Professor Butler was talking about, and we learned that most of the, it was a lot of air pollution in Detroit, and I never knew it was air pollution in Detroit. Like, some places of Detroit, like Southeast, mm -hmm. um, was they, the air to breathe was very unhealthy. A lot of kids were developing asthma or even cancerous diseases. And I'm like, okay, and I'm a policy major, mm -hmm. so I'm like, oh, well, I have the ability to change this in the further future or I have the ability to change this now because I know how to talk to policymakers and, like, for her to take us to Detroit to see that it's air pollution and it's simple policies that can change that and we go to Michigan State, which is the neighbor to the capital, it's like, well, um, the burden is on you. Well, it's not a burden. The responsibility is on you. What are you going to do to help the community that you're so proud of? Mm -hmm. And I think that was a really good um, assessment of like the whole course and I hope to take us to Detroit. Well, one of the things that, that you should know, Professor Butler, is that <laughs> China is definitely uh, taking you up on your uh, encouragement to not only create community among her peers, but she also uh, reached out to me a few weeks ago, and we had an opportunity to have a meeting uh, last week, and um, we talked a little bit about your future plans. So do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about what, what you're planning on doing? In the future, I hope to go to law school either at Berkeley or Cornell and then eventually become an elected official, either a state representative or, yeah, mm -hmm. a senator. Absolutely. So, so, so some of these issues around um, air pollution and around other uh, issues that you've learned about in this class and some of the policies associated with that and, of course, also the community building yeah skills that you've learned have been, um, I think will be critical to that, to that work for sure. For sure. <laughs> One of the things, Tamara, that you uh, have talked a lot about is the work that goes into facilitating these experiences for students and also um, into the kind of research and scholarship that you do, this engaged scholarship that ties together the service component of the traditional research uh, portfolio, the teaching component, and the and the research uh, component. So, we can talk a little bit about your holistic approach to those three dimensions of the traditional kind of tenure process. 
Um, I think I've, I'll borrow this uh, this really beautiful metaphor from uh, Professor uh, Estrella Torres over in the Residential College of Arts and Humanities about braided. Mm. And so I think this idea that um, I come to research teaching and service with this notion of, of, a, of a braided approach where they're all together. So in my courses, my hope is that I'm, you know, I write the, I write the publications, which is the kind of research component, but the teaching does something to kind of fuse the service and the research together for me um, because it's, it's in that space that I realize, like, is my research practical? Is it applicable? Is it legible, especially um, when I'm working with undergraduate students? Because most of the time we think scholarship is, re- is reserved for graduate students and, and peers and senior scholars. But I think that there's something really important about can undergraduate students, can community members take up the work? Like, is this something that they can, do they have access to the, to the, to the publication? Do they understand the theory? And so it's in that space where I kind of see it as not really a lab, but as a, as a, as a good testing ground to say, is this thing working? Does this thing make sense? Um, and so from there, it then the classroom also allows me to then reach, reach outward. And so also in this course, in the African-American studies course, and even in the, my um, English courses, it's really taking the students up on this task of we have learned this thing here in the space. What does this look like in the communities? And for me, the service part, which I'm really hard to even call it that, hmm. is to go out and sit down and I've, I can't tell you how many meetings <laughs> I've sat in on and really asking community members the question, what would you like to see here? Like, you know, we're at Michigan State. This is the course. These are the courses that I'm teaching. These are the kind of networks that I'm a part of. How can we help you move forward, whatever the project is? And so, for example, I know we're, we're planning something um, for the upcoming semesters, um, where we're looking at really bringing in um, speakers to so that the speakers can serve as kind of a bridge between various colleges, especially the College of Arts and Letters and uh, community organizations here in Lansing. And so through that, um, I don't see that part as a service. I don't even know. It's even hard to categorize for me. And so usually when I write about my work, it's hard for me to, to really flesh out which is which. But I see them so integrated, my classroom being the spot, like the main strand um, that informs my teaching. I mean, it informs my teaching and informs my writing, but it definitely informs the way that I interact um, with community members. Uh, I think the right now I'm trying to think, I'm like, what do I do in terms of <laughs> in terms of service? Um, and I'm, I mean, we can count the, the kind of. Uh, community, we can count the kind of committee work mm-hmm. that I do as service, the kind of work that I do here on campus. Um, but there's something about being in conversation with that I'm like, I don't know where to put this um, very often, but I, it's very much my classrooms are the space where I'm like, this is how scholarship manifests, this is how we can think through scholarship, and then this is what it can look like uh, pedagogically. Um, but also this is what people are saying. So I take student evaluations um, seriously. I take community questions and concerns seriously um, in the ways that I kind of formulate my classes. Uh, also to the ways that I've like restructured syllabi in the middle of the semester. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> we actually want to change this to make space for um, 
for you know this person I just met or this organization that really wants to work with this group, and I leave it up to you, to my students to say, is this a good partner? Uh, was this a good experience? Would should we do it again? Kind of thing. I really um, appreciate Professor Torres's uh, image of the of the braid because even you know as I listen to you, I'm I'm recognizing the way in which how we talk about the traditional tenure and promotion process as legs of a stool and as sort of three separate dimensions, research, teaching, and service, render invisible a lot of the work that you do uh, around engagement with the community as core to your research and um, how you're enriching our relationships with members of the community through your teaching, both here on campus, but also in your work out in the school districts, because I know you do a, a lot of work with with our local schools. Um, that work is critical to the land-grant mission of Michigan State, to the publicly engaged mission of the university, and finding ways to make that visible, to tell that story in ways that are that are understandable both for members of the community and students, but also for your faculty colleagues and for administrators at the university, yeah. <laughs> um, so that they recognize that this is really a textured and and rich approach to scholarship. And I think it's the it's the approach that that we really need to find ways to proactively support if we're going to. Yeah have scholars like you who are see this in an integrated, holistic way, um, a core part of the university. Mm -hmm. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the, when you think about that kind of, um, the, when you think about that scholarly practices and habits, the, the skills you have to have to be able to do that kind of work with the community, with your students, what are, the, what are those kinds of, um, uh, habits and skills that you have to embody. This is it's it's ironic because I just it had a conversation about this uh, probably like two days ago. So it's like maybe serendipitous is a good yeah. word. Um, I think one of the things that you have to think about is this, it requires a kind of knowledge of self, a very deep knowledge of self um, that I think we often overlook. So it's reflect it's a consistent reflective process. Um, who are you as a scholar? Um, who are you as a community member? Are you a responsible one? Do people actually know your name? <laughs> do people mm -hmm. actually know what you do? Um, and do and what kind of reputation you have? Because I think most of the time we think of community work and engaged work. Um, <clears throat> it usually, um, there are times and, and even things that I've heard in terms of people who have been really exploitative um, and that's not the reputation that I, I want. And I think that's the kind that we should really question. Um, and that's a, and so that's why I ask, what kind of scholar are you? What kind of community member are you? What is your responsibility to this place? As well as issues around sustainability. So are you an innovate, do you have an innovative approach? Um, if for whatever reason, uh, your funds run out on one side, how will you be able to help a community sustain their mm -hmm. project? Um, and also one thing that I'm, uh, that I'm writing about is thinking about this idea of envisioning students um, at three different levels and at th or three different identities. And one is as learners, um, as teachers, and as innovators. 
And so if you're willing to see students in that way, and if that's the if that's not at the core of of the project, then what you're just doing is sending students out as like foot soldiers, <laughs> like to just go out and volunteer. And um and I and that's not my approach. We have so many pl- volunteer opportunities, but to actually sit down and listen, um, and then uh, that's why I'm really excited about the courses is that you bring back these kind of ideas, and it's like, okay, what can I do? Mm. That's why I'm very excited to hear uh, China kind of taking these up and thinking about policy because it it's not some it's not an immediate feedback, it's not immediate gratification that you know tomorrow she's going to change a policy and or become a lawyer, but it's it's knowing that there are experiences that are in there that are like, oh, I have a new perspective of, of my city. Mm. I have a new perspective of what policy can do. Um, and so I think, for me, that's the kind of innovative part of the work. And it's like, so how do you envision your students? How do you envision yourself? Um, and without those kind of components, then you're just sending people out into the world or you're just doing volunteer work, which there's nothing there's nothing like just or to belittle volunteer work, but I think that to be engaged um, requires um, a type of consciousness um, and a, and being deeply rooted in responsibility that I think sometimes gets left out of the conversation. Yeah, I really re- appreciate that um, emphasis on self-reflection and the need to be very intentional about your practices of self-reflection. That's something that I've been thinking a lot about recently. And um, I wonder, China, if I could ask you about your experience here at MSU and to reflect a little bit ab- about that, because um, I think these opportunities we have in, in our classes and in our personal lives to, to reflect upon our experience and to think about you know, how we're putting our core values into practice in the world is so important. Um, at MSU, my courses have been extremely tough. <laughs> <laughs> But I expected that coming in, but at MSU, I developed a community that I thought I would never see outside of blood, like mm. family members, um, especially taking that student leadership position where you force people to form a community, even if they don't want one, they're going to have a community. <laughs> like, you're going to know if you need someone to lean on. You have us, like, um, recently, a lot of my peers were struggling with some of our MSU courses. So we decided to host a study group. Like I've hosted three study groups in the last week. So I'm so tired. (laughs) Um, And I really focus on making sure that the freshmen get the most help that they can because that's the most impressionable state while you're in MSU, especially the first semester of freshman year. So if you fail your first semester of freshman year, you start questioning, is MSU for you? Is this If MSU is for me, is this major for me? Mm -hmm. But if you set your mind to it, anything is for you. You just need community (laughs) to make sure that you do it right. And I like that Butler was emphasizing that. And I also like that her course highlighted the most neglected community, which is, like, the black woman and how we could establish, like, roots of our own if people were ignoring our needs and wants and that was very important especially since it's a large population of black women at MSU who need that type of community to be able to manifest into the person they want to be for their future endeavors and I think that was very good. So so talk a little bit about your own leadership role. So you, you, you're the representative <laughs> for uh, ASMSU from the College of Arts and Letters. I know that. Yeah, so 
SMSU is Michigan State's um, largest student government organization, and it's me and one other um, representative that represents the College of Arts and Letters. And I really try to focus on um, marginalized students with my position because I know most times we want to help the whole College of Arts and Letters, but when you try to save the whole world, you usually forget about some people. <laughs> so it's like, well, I'll take on the responsibility to ensure that um, marginalized students are being heard because those are the least represented people in the College of Arts and Letters um, literature and course materials that we get. You rarely see like um, um, readers of color, scholars of color, films from filmmakers of color is just rare to see those things so to gather all of those people who feel marginalized into one space and say what do you want what can the college provide for you let's get demands and orders because no protest is nothing without demands and how are we going to establish these demands it's better if we go as a community and then just as one because no one is just going to listen to me so yeah well, one of the things that I'm really enthusiastic about is uh, being able to work with you on some of these, exactly these issues. We've identified in the college um, the core value of equity as uh, central to what we're trying to embody in the curriculum and in the habits and practices of the college. And so the work that you're doing with, with your colleagues and particularly with the first-year students that first semester is so important to ensure that people are, are being successful, being supported in their in their work, feeling uh, like they're at home and like that uh, they can find and do have support is a really critical part of the success ultimately of students uh, as they move through the program. And I know, Tamara, you've done a lot of work with our undergraduate students in terms <laughs> of trying to, you know, the, the lines out your uh, office door and w waiting for, for uh, meetings with you. I, I know that the work that you've done in that has been really important. It's been it's, it's been fun. I think the thing that um, there's a there's a young woman scholar by the name of Grace Player who has a Instagram account. <clears throat> and I love it because, and I'm not on Instagram, so I actually found out through a text message that <laughs> she's rec she's recruiting. But it's about women of colors, um, women of color professors' offices, mm. and and I think so. When you were talking about lines at the door, there was something really beautiful about um, one semester I was teaching a course, so it was probably spring 2018, um, and it was when Tarana Burke had just came to campus like a couple months, couple weeks before. Mm. Um, and my doctoral uh, advisee, Bria Harper, came and stuck her head in the door and was just like, hey, Dr. Butler, oh, I see you're busy. And in, the, in my office were already three black women, undergraduate students in my course, and they turned around and they were like, I know you. They were like, were you at the Tarana Burke? Of, like, were you, you did your thing, sis. Like, oh, my God, that was so great. And it was just like a really beautiful moment to have these students, some of who were like, how can I, how can I pass my class? Um, how should I finish my project? But just to have, they were in my office eating popcorn, but to have a conversation um, and have a space where students feel welcome, but also a space where students can commune with one another. So to be able to have, undergraduates and grad students talking to each other not as TA 
and and a student, but as community members, like you're part of the same community. Um, getting to so I invited Bria into the office, and I'm like, y'all can chat. I'm gonna finish looking at these emails. But what was really beautiful in that moment was students getting to see that also as a grad student, I can also change this place mm. because I know that Bria and Ayana Spencer worked diligently um, with Xerxes Mendez and, and other uh, folks here to bring Tirana to campus um, with support definitely of the College of Arts and Letters. And so to see these kind of different um, components, these different people working together um, and for students to be like, oh, you you were behind the scenes in this too as well as on the stage was a beautiful thing. And so for me, I'm, I really want to transform the way that undergraduates see each other um, and the way that they see that this place is a resource. It's filled with resources and networks um, that you should take advantage of. So, you know, I went to a small HBCU, which didn't, there weren't very many opportunities to interact with grad students. I think the largest grad program we had was a pharmacy school. And it seemed like all the pharmacy students went in <laughs> and never came out. Um, so there was very little interaction. But to, to be at a place where graduate students and undergraduates and faculty are constantly interacting, it's like, I want you to take advantage of that. Um, and it's And so for me, it's just trying to transform the way that um, undergraduate students see this place, especially um, students from marginalized communities, students who are first generation, brown and black, uh, low income, whatever. Like I'm a first generation student and so it's always exciting when students, um, my favorite interaction was when student asked me, um, I never know what to call you. Like, are you professor? Are you a doctor? Like, <laughs> and we were in my office, and there's a photograph of my of my mentor putting my doctoral hood on, and I said, "You see that really like fancy gown right there?" I was like, "Yes, I'm a doctor," and this floor is filled with doctors, and the kind of expression on her face, she was like, "Really?" So, just trying to change um, undergraduate students' perspective of like where where you are, mm. like this could be you and then I can retire. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. Well, I'm really grateful for the work that you're doing because you're, you're not only opening up the spaces for uh, students to imagine a different future for themselves, but you're also helping us transform the institution itself in ways that are acutely needed. Uh, you mentioned the uh, Toronto Burke visit and the work that you're doing with, with Xerces and, and the the transformation of the institution here at Michigan State in the wake of the survivor impact statement and the uh, Nasser uh, abuse scandal that we're navigating our way through and trying to find our, our path through. Um, in, in, the, in this time, your leadership and the leadership of your colleagues has been uh, vital for uh, me as a dean to, to look uh, to um, you as experts in trying to help us imagine a new way of being together. Uh, and it is in our interactions with one another. It's in big things like projects and other sorts of things, but it's in our daily interactions with one another. So the stories that you tell about the gathering in your office is, is really heartening because that's where the work, that's where the work is. And it has to then, you know, 
be built into the life uh, of the institution, and that's that's the next phases of this. And I'm I'm really grateful for for your work in China. I'm grateful for you for being on our podcast and for all the <laughs> contributions you make here at MSU, uh, and for reaching out to the dean and 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 asking for a, for a meeting that took a lot of uh, courage. I'm really grateful for that for sure. A meeting with you is like me representing 200 kids. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And and it's really important for for me not only to get to know you as a person, but also to hear the issues that you're facing as you navigate your path through Michigan State, both yourself and also for your colleagues. So uh, I appreciate you reaching out to me, and I'm looking forward to our ongoing conversation. Yes. And I am uh, grateful for 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 both of you for being on uh, the liberal arts endeavor. You can follow more of Dr. Butler's work, teaching and research, on her website, TamaraButler.com. Awesome to see that you have a, a website. And on Twitter at DefYamTam. <laughs> it's D-E-F-Y-A-N-T-A-M. And lastly, I'd like to thank those involved in the Liberal Arts Endeavor podcast, including our technical producer, Dan Trago and Nadav Pace Greenapple, and our marketing director and producer, Ryan Kilcoin. And of course, you can access all of Michigan State University's College of Arts and Letters Liberal Arts Endeavor podcast at go.cal.msu.edu slash podcast. I'm Dean Christopher Long, and I'll see you next time on the Liberal Arts Endeavor podcast.